I'm almost embarrassed. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for all that you're about to do today. Father, we thank you in advance, expecting, Lord, to receive what you have, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, as you speak into our hearts. Meet us right where we are. Father, we're just plain, simple folks, Lord, looking to receive the simplicity of your word. You know where everyone is, Father God. You know our tendencies. You know our weaknesses. You know our struggles, Lord God. But you also know how to meet every of those needs. And so, Father, tonight we ask that through your word that you meet every need in this house. Father, if it's strength, if it's wisdom, if it's direction, if it's healing, Father God, we thank you that all is available here tonight by your spirit. And now, Lord, we ask that you take complete control of the service, have your way, speak into all of our lives, deposit in us words of life that will bring uh, life and power, and Lord, and bring us to the next level in our lives. And Lord, for this, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. We've been talking on the subject of knowing God's will. And I'm not going to spend any time reviewing last week's message. So if, if you weren't here last Wednesday, I would encourage you to listen to the message on, uh, on oh, I can't even, podcast. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> but last week we did talk about the importance of knowing God's will. Then we talked about the importance of being in God's will. Then we talked about why so many believers find themselves outside of God's will. Tonight, we're going to be looking into the importance of doing God's will. The prerequisite for knowing the will of God is this, a willingness to do his will. It doesn't make any sense to try to discover God's will for your life if you're not willing to do it and carry it out. God's not going to reveal his will to us and say, I'm going to show you my will. And I'd like for you to think about it, and, and, and perhaps maybe you can do it. God's not going to reveal his will to us so that we can debate about it, so that we can speculate on it, so that we can think about it, or even pray about it. God reveals his will to us so that we can do it and carry it out. I want you to go with me to John chapter 6. The greatest priority in life is not only discovering the will of God for your life, but also to do his will. In Psalm 143 and verse 10, David prays this prayer where he says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. That should be our prayer as well. Lord, teach us to do your will. Because sometimes we don't know how to do his will. Sometimes we're afraid to do his will. Sometimes we're just reluctant to do his will. But as David says, Lord, teach me to do your will. I believe that God will help us and meet us halfway if we take that step of faith. So I want you to listen to the words of Jesus because he is the greatest example of someone who was willing to do his will. Jesus' whole purpose in life was to carry out God's specific will. In John 6 and verse 38, I'll read that to you in the New Living Translation, where it says, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will. It's interesting how Jesus understood why he came into this world. And he came not to do his own will, he says, but to do and carry out God's will, whatever it may be. Jesus made God's will a priority in his life, and God's will became the very thing 
that Jesus lived for. That same attitude should also be in us. Wanting what God wants. Desiring what he desires. Do what he wants us to do. So to do God's will means not doing our will. That's going to require a surrendering of our will to him. And you see, this is where so many of us struggle, is surrendering our will. Let me give you an illustration. People who've been drinking are told not not to drive simply because they can hurt themselves and hurt others. People who've been drinking ought to be ought to give someone who is sober the keys and have them have control over the steering wheel so that they can take the passengers to where they need to go. You and I have control over the steering wheel of our lives, so to speak. And we're driving and we shouldn't be. You see, when we take control of our, the, the steering wheel of our lives, we're, we're swerving, we're, we're crossing the lines, we're making wrong turns, we're heading in the wrong direction, and we're heading into ditches because we're out of control and we have no business behind a wheel. However, there's a God that stands available, ready to take the keys of our life and drive us home. He will take us from here to eternity safely and on time. But he has to have control over the keys of our life. He has to be in charge. And the only way he can do it is by us willingly submit our will to him. So that he can get behind the wheel of our lives and begin driving and taking us where we need to go. Romans 12.1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, my brethren... By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Let me read that to you from the Amplified Version. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all of your members and faculties as living sacrifices, holy devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service, rational, intelligent service, and spiritual worship. So when we present our bodies, we're, we're surrendering, yielding our very lives in His hands. And when our bodies become His body, God, it, it's like God uses our body as His vehicle to carry out His will and to carry out whatever it is He chooses us to do. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Jesus lived to do God's will. He is the perfect model of living to do the will of God no matter what the circumstances are. Here we read the story where Jesus was entering into the Garden of Gethsemane. Understand that the last three years of his life was spent doing the will of God. Teaching, preaching, and healing. Now he's reaching the end, the completion of his will. But it was the darkest and most difficult time of his life. And here he is entering into the Garden of Gethsemane. But in verse 37, just to show you the human side of Jesus, just to show you his his mental and emotional state, the scriptures describe him as being sorrowful and deeply distressed. 
As a matter of fact, he turned to one of his disciples and says, My soul is exceedingly sorrow unto death. So we get a picture of what he's going through. In Matthew verse 26 and verse 39, he says this. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. In Mark's account, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. When you read that, you can almost feel the sense of urgency and the anxiety that he was going through. But understand that in both accounts, Jesus did not end his prayer there. Because Jesus set the example, the perfect servant who when facing the worst possible scenario, which is the painful and agonizing death on the cross, was able to say, nevertheless, not my will, by thy will be done. Go to John chapter 5. Jesus understood what God's will was for his life and set out to do it. And he was determined to do it and understand that everything that Jesus did was, was according to God's will. It was exactly what he came to do. Until he came to that final point of his life, the most difficult time of his life. And you see the human side of him asking God, Lord, if there's any way, if there's any way possible to avoid this. He says, Lord, all things are possible to you. Take this cup from me. But then the divine side of him said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because the divine side knew that he had to do this for the sake of the world. In John chapter 30, I mean 5, verse 30 says, I could of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. There was a story about a, a church secretary who was talking to her pastor. And she was telling him a story about a man that she had t- ran into at some uh, place of business. And as they were talking, the man found out that she was working for a pastor that 30 years ago she had, he had bought a tape from. And he began to share a story that happened 30 years ago. And he began to tell her that 30 years ago he bought a tape from her pastor, in which her pastor was preaching. And he gave that tape to his niece, who at that time was so far away from God and living an ungodly life. And so she took the tape and we listened to it. And after listening to the tape, her life changed completely. To the point where now she became a missionary and was completely dedicated to, to doing God's will. Now that's an awesome testimony to be able to affect someone's life by something you said or something you did. And this happened 30 years ago. But here's the point I'm making here. This story illustrates how important it is for you and I to know what God's will is for our lives so that we can carry it out because you never know the people that you're going to affect as you go along and fulfilling God's purpose. God cannot use you and be effective in someone's life if you're not walking according to his will. If you're not yielded to his will. If your whole life, and listen, we live in a world of entitlement. We live in a world where it's me first and then everything else. 
But if we can learn to develop a life that is completely surrendered to God, trusting in everything that he tells us to do, and live out our lives fulfilling his will, then we'll be able to do what Jesus says. He says, I came, as a matter of fact, you and I can say the same thing. I came into this world by birth to do his will, not my will. Because understand that God has already established his will before you and I was ever formed in our mother's womb. So by the time we were born, his will was already established. So we can say the same thing. So the question is, why did you come into this world? Was it to seek riches? Was it to seek fame and fortune? Or is it to do the will of God? See, our whole thinking has to change. Because we're so busy thinking about what we want, instead of focusing on what God wants. We need to make a priority of understanding God's will for our lives and, then to, and having a willingness to carry it out. Because how can we ever build God's kingdom and affect people's lives if we don't know our part? So how can we know the will of God in our lives? It's a question that everyone has asked. But it's a good question because we need to know what it is. Now, tonight, of course, there are several ways that we can know how, what the will of God is for our lives. But because of time, we only have time for at least touching three. Three primary ways that God shows us and helps reveal his will for our lives. The first is the word of God. The word of God is the primary way that God reveals his will for our lives. It's his revealed will, which is his word. You can also say it's his directive will. Which means that God is, that the word of God is, is absolute, unchangeable, unconditional. Everything that is written in here is for us to follow throughout our whole lives. Everything that you need to know about your life or about life in general is found right here in his word. You don't need to be looking anywhere else except through his word to find out what God wants for us. Go to Psalm 119. God's word is is his expression of his will for our lives. Because from the book of Genesis to Revelation, God lays out his plan concerning everything that concerns us. And the Bible provides guidelines and principles concerning his will. It it, it contains guidelines that, that regards the core values, the moral values, and the principles for life. In Psalm 119 and verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word is described here as a a lamp that you can carry by hand and light up every area of darkness. You know, one night I was was, was up late reading. And uh, so I started getting tired. I decided, you know, to get ready for bed. Everyone else was sleeping. uh, But I made a pit stop in the kitchen to drop off a cup that I I had used earlier. So I walked into the kitchen, I turned on the switch, and something just ran right across me, something a little furry, and I was startled. I I wasn't scared, I was startled. There's a difference, okay? And I said, whoa, what is that? But see, there was a mouse in the kitchen. But I would not have known if there was a mouse in the kitchen if I had not turned on the lights. You see, light exposed that mouse. Now that I know that mouse is there, now I can take action. Now I can carry out God's will. 
and remove the mouse from my house. <laughs> but the word of God brings light. It opens the door. It opens a whole new world of what God's will is for our lives. The psalmist recognized that God's word was this was his light to show us where to go and how to get there. So when you and I are searching God's will, we need to open up the Bible more than we ever have before. I'll say that again. We need to start opening up the Bible and begin reading more than we ever have before. And when we do that, we need to ask God to show us, to help us to find specific guidelines, specific guidance, specific direction for our lives. And when you do that and you expect to hear from God and, and, and expect God to show you, he'll begin to show you some things. In Psalm 119 and verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instructions in righteousness. Now, here are some guidelines that the Bible provides for us concerning his will. For instance, what is God's will concerning our lives? In other words, how does God want me to live? How does he want me to carry out my life? Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. These are clear guidelines on living the way God wants us to live. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. What is God's will for our lives? Well, one way is that we live a sanctified life. That word sanctification means purity or holiness. In other words, our lives should be a life that is pure and holy so that we can refrain, abstain, and say no to sexual immorality. You know, it's interesting how some people think that all you need to do is be spiritual to overcome or to refrain from or to abstain from sexual immorality. But that's not necessarily true. True, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, the Bible says, flee from fornication. It didn't say pray against fornication. Not that you can't. Well, why pray when you can run? <laughs> right? Sometimes we just need to have practical common sense to avoid these things. But it's God's will for us to live a clean, pure, and holy life. To abstain from all appearance of evil. I mean, when we flee from fornication, listen, it worked because it worked for Joseph. So it can certainly work for us. But let me read while we're still in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Go to verse 4 and 5, and I want to read it from the Amplified Version. That each one of you should know how to possess Control or manage his own body in consecration, that is impurity, separated from the things profane, and honor. Not to be used in the passion of lust like the heathens who are ignorant of the true God, and listen to this, and have no knowledge of his will. So you want to know how to carry yourself, how to live. The Bible tells us exactly what to do. Live a holy and pure life. To abstain all appearance of evil. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 6.13 says that your body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for your body. 
So what else can we do? How can we continue to live a pure life and stay, uh, and stay pure? Well, again, we go into the Word of God, look into the Scriptures to get clear direction in this area. Go to Psalm 119 in the verse 9. Psalm 119 in verse 9 says this, How can a young man cleanse his way or stay pure by taking heed according to the Word of God or to, your, to the Word? In verse 11 says, Your Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So again, the Bible is very clear as to how we're to live and how do we carry ourselves, how we should behave. What else does the Bible say? Let's talk about what his will is concerning relationships. Now, I touched on this last week, but go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, but I want to expound on this. You want to know something about relationships concerning God's will? The Bible will tell you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, and understand this, these are guidelines that we're looking at. The scriptures tell us the kind of person we should marry, the kind of person that we should date, and the kind of person that we should associate as far as forming alliances or partnership. It won't tell you specifically who you should marry or who you should date, but it does give you guidelines as to the kind of person you should be marrying or dating. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 says this, Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. For what fellowship or partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Verse 15. And what accord or harmony has Christ with Belial, which is Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So once again, it is very clear from this passage of Scripture what the will of God is concerning relationships. It said, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Now, what does that term mean, unequally yoked? It simply means to yoke differently. In the, in the Greek, it means to be yoked together with an animal of another kind. It's a reference to the Old Testament where it was lawful, or was unlawful, to team up two different animals and yoke them up together. In Deuteronomy 22 and verse 10 says this, You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Now, if you can picture that in your mind, a donkey and an ox with a, a, a yoke around its neck, how does that work? Because, listen, you put those two together, there's an unequal, they're unequal in size and unequal in strength. So when the Bible says that we are not to be unequally yoked together, it's the same as yoking a donkey and an ox. A believer with an unbeliever. It, it, it just doesn't match. As a matter of fact, you can say that it is an uneven and unbalanced relationship or partnership. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Here's another reason why we're not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 3, the New Living Translation says this. Now understand that the children of Israel was getting ready to cross over the Jordan River to go into the promised land. And God began to give them final instructions. And he mentioned six nations that had to be wiped out once they crossed. Because these nations will affect and influence their lives. And this is what he said in verse 3. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters. Verse 4. 
For they will, this is the reason why, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. When you think about the oxen and the donkey teamed up together to pull a, a plow or a wagon, being uneven in strength and size, the oxen would dominate and the poor donkey would be left behind. In the same way, when you have an unequal relationship, one party in the relationship is going to dominate the other. It's going to influence the other. God understood this. That's why he said, do not let your sons or daughters marry any of their sons or daughters. Because they will turn their hearts away from me to worship other gods. And if you remember Solomon, it did that for him. He married, what, 700, 100, 1,000 women. I don't, I don't get that at all. But 1,000 women, and the scripture says that these women turned their, his heart away from God. So it is possible that your heart can be turned away from God if you're unequally yoked. In, whether it's in dating, marriage, or, or partnership, business partnership. Be careful who you yoke up with. Other guidelines, and we just don't have the time, but... There's a scripture that talks about walking in love. What is God's will in walking in love? The scripture says, love one another as Christ loved the church. It says, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And and pray for them that despitefully use you. What does the Bible say about worship? The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. What is the will of God concerning raising children? Ephesians 6, 4 says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So throughout his word, we're able to see clarity and understanding of, of how God wants us to live and how what God wants us to do in all areas of our lives. If you want to know the will of God for anything, it's right there. Sometimes I think we spend too much time looking and seeking God's will when it comes to specific will. And here we are, we have the will of God here in the Bible, and we're ignoring doing that, and yet we're trying to see God's will for other areas of our lives. Well, let's talk about focusing on what you already know. Do that, and don't worry about what you don't know. God will show you that in in due time. So when we stop reading the Bible, we lose sight of God's will. But God gives us clarity in his word. And again, I want to encourage you because if if this will help you and encourage you to start reading the Bible more, then so be it. Because we need to be in the Bible. We need to begin to read. We need to begin to study because we need to understand what God's will is for our lives. And the Bible covers every, almost every area of our lives. The second reason or second way that God reveals his will for our lives is by his spirit. Go to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah 30 and verse 21 says this. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. You know, it reminds me how the Spirit of God is like an inner GPS. Giving us direction and helping and leading us to where we need to go. 
And whenever we miss a turn, he recalculates us and get us back on track. And that's what the Spirit of God does. He speaks to us. He guides us. He directs us. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The things that God wishes for us to know concerning his will has been revealed through his word and by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10 says this. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been given and freely given to us by God. That verse, that verse 12 is probably my favorite verse because what Paul is saying is this, that the Spirit of God searches the deep things of God. The Spirit of God knows the things of God. And we have received that same Spirit And because the Spirit of God is in the revealing business, He's going to reveal to us even the deep things of God. Think about this. As believers, we have an advantage than those who are not serving God. Because we can know and understand the deep things of God, the will of God, whereas they can't. See, a natural man or a man that is not born again cannot know the will of God. The Scripture says he cannot receive it because he consider it as foolishness. But we can receive the, uh, the, the understanding and knowledge of God's will. And we can understand the deep things of God because we have the Spirit of God who's in the revealing business. Praise God. So that we may know the will of God. The Spirit of God is very active in our lives because He teaches, He reveals, He, uh, he strengthens, He enables, He empowers, He leads, He guides. He's very active. I remember when, uh, before I came on staff several years ago, um, Pastor Dave at the time was the, uh, the, uh, the senior pastor. And at the time I was an elder and, and I was a care leader. Uh, it's a connect group leader today, but that then was known as care leaders. And so, you know, I've always had, a, 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 I always believed in my heart that I had a call of the Lord in ministry. But the thing is that I never went around beating my chest and telling people that I'm called of God. I kept it to myself and I would share it with my wife. And, um, but I, and that's how I left it. And so one day after we had an elders meeting in between services on Sunday, uh, Pastor Dave pulled me aside and says, what are you doing Thursday? I says, um, I'm not doing anything. Um, can we go out to lunch? I said, Sure. Now, all that week, I was a little nervous because Pastor Dave never asked me out to lunch. So I knew something was up. So I was a little nervous because I'm thinking, okay, what did I do wrong? Or, or did I offend somebody? There was somebody complaining about me. All weekend, I just kept thinking and banging my head wondering what I did wrong. So Thursday came around, and that morning, I was up early because I had a doctor's appointment. But they call and postpone it. So now I had the morning, so I decided I'm going to pray. So I began praying, and as I was praying, I said, Lord, you know, this was my prayer. Lord, if if he's going to correct me, Lord, then help me to be humble and help me to receive it and help me not to let pride get in the way. So, Lord, just help me to receive it, Lord. Don't, Don't let me get upset about it. Just if I did something wrong, then, Lord, help me. As I was praying that, I heard a voice saying this. He's going to ask you to come on staff full time. 
just like that. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was a voice in here. It was very clear. But the way I think and the way I act, I say, okay, well, you know, that's probably wishful thinking. So I'm just going to put it aside and just put it on the shelf because I don't want to get my hopes up. So, you know, we go and go to lunch. We're talking, we're sharing. He's asking me questions. And in the meantime, I'm saying, I wish you'd get to the point because I know something's up. If I did something wrong, just tell me. And then we're talking and going on. All of a sudden, he said, listen, we've been praying. We want to ask you to come on staff. We've been reserved. This is not a decision that we just made out of spur of the moment, but we've been praying about this. We've been observing you for the last three years, and we believe that this is God's will. And I got to tell you, I don't know if I was more excited about uh, being on full-time staff or the fact that God had revealed it to me before it came to pass. But see, that's what the Spirit of God does. He shows you things to come. At that time, God, God had revealed His will for my life by His Spirit. I could have known it any other way except by the Spirit of God. But you see, that's what God does. That's what His Spirit does. He reveals things to you. And it's interesting how God does that. But you know, it, it's, uh, as I said before, I knew that I was called of God since I was a kid. And then... As I grew up, I went my own way, did my own will, and did my thing, and then until God recalculated me and got me back right on track. But then at that point, the stirring of, 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 this, of being called in the ministry became even stronger. But it was a progression of time as God began to work and develop me and prepare me for this day. And, and I look back and I see all the things that God had done. I said, okay, now I know why that happened. Okay, now I know why this didn't happen. Because the Spirit of God was preparing me. And he was showing me. And here's the thing. God will never show you the entire picture concerning his will for your life. He'll only give you just a portion. But over a period of time, he'll begin to show you a little bit more. Until a little bit more. Until the season comes where now it's time for you to step into whatever it is they call, that God called you to do. And that's what he did in my life. But he directed me by his spirit. And it was the spirit of God that revealed it to me. So that's what the spirit of God does. He reveals God's will for your life. And he's able to do that because he knows the deep things of God. He knows the will of God for your life. And listen, God is not going to establish his will for your life only to keep it from you. He wants to show it to you. He wants to reveal it to you. But it's in his time. And he'll show you a little bit at a time. And if you stay faithful and be consistent and just do. And that's, that, that's what God told me to do. When I started getting anxious, when I started getting frustrated, the Spirit of God would say to me, just do what you do. Stay in the Word, continue to pray, and just do what you do. And that's all I could do because I had no other choice but to do to, you know, what, I, what I know to do. But I want to encourage you that the Spirit of God is a, one, is a second way that God reveals His will. Go to John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus' words says this. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will guide us. How? By speaking to us 
that is speaking to our, our spirit man. He said that whatever he hears, he will speak because he knows the deep things of God. You know, it's like if you want information, you're going to go to somebody that has all that information. You know, you want to know something about cars and you want to go to someone who's an expert about cars. And so if whatever information you need, he can provide it for you. You can tap into this guy's knowledge and learn all that you can because he has that information. We can tap into the Holy Ghost because he has so much knowledge. Because he knows the deep things of God. And he's available and living in us, providing that knowledge, providing that wisdom, and helping us to know what his will is. Man, I don't know about you, but that excites me. Go to Acts chapter 8. The Spirit of God speaks to us. I heard a preacher once say that God, that the Spirit of God used to speak back in the day during the disciples, but he said he don't speak to us today. I knew that was a lie of the devil. Because the Spirit of God does speak. He's spoken to me. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip. What did the Spirit say? Go near and overtake this chariot. The Spirit said. It was the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And listen, whatever the Spirit of God tells you, it's always going to be in line with His Word. Never going to be outside of His Word. As a matter of fact, I don't know why I'm sharing this. When we talk about open doors of opportunities, sometimes when you see an open door and we think it's an opportunity from God, that's when we need to be very careful because it's not necessarily of God. Because if, if you see an open door of opportunity, if you have to compromise your faith or disobey God in order to enter in, then you know that's not the will of God. God will never contradict, God will never provide an open door and contradict everything that he says in his word. So you need to be careful about that. Don't think that every opportunity is an opportunity that comes from God. Sometimes you just need to stop and pray and wait. And wait for the Spirit of God to show you whether it is or not. We'll talk more about that if we have the time. Go to Acts chapter 16. The Spirit of God is always active, always on alert, always on the spot. Acts 16 and verse 6 says this, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After, in verse 7, after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, why was it that the Holy Spirit forbid them? from going into these regions to preach the gospel. Isn't the Great Commission to preach the gospel into all the world? To make disciples of all nations? So why would the Spirit of God prevent them from going into these regions to preach the gospel? Well, it's quite simple. Because it wasn't God's will for them to go into those regions. For whatever reason. It doesn't tell you why, but we do know this. The Spirit of God forbid them. Because it wasn't God's will. Have you ever had an experience where you was going to go somewhere or make a decision and something just prevented you from doing it and only to find out later that you were glad that you didn't do it? How many have ever had that experience before? Yeah. See, that's what the Spirit of God does. He prevents you. He, see, He protects you. He keeps you from making... Understand that God has given us a free will. 
So God is not going to go against your will. If he tells you to go to your right and you go to your left, God's not going to, you know, he's just going to allow you to go. That's his his permissive will. He's going to permit you to go. But that doesn't mean that God's going to do everything he can to try to prevent you from going because he loves us. You know, it's our children. When our children become, you know, old enough to make their own decisions, you know, you, and you see them making a wrong choice and you know they're making a bad choice and you try to tell them and encourage them and, and counsel them, but they won't listen to you. So what do you do? You have no choice but to permit them. But that doesn't mean you can do everything you can to prevent them from making a mistake because you love them. The third way that God shows us his will is by godly counsel. Go to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says this. But there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Who are you talking to? Who are you getting advice from? One of the biggest mistakes that many Christians have made, and probably still do, is going to the wrong people, getting wrong advice. Perhaps maybe you were the recipient of wrong advice. But the scripture says that we are to seek counselors, plural, multitude of counselors. In other words, it's okay to go to more than one person for advice and for direction. But watch who you go to for advice. Go to someone that you know is strong in the Lord, who's consistent in their spiritual walk, who's mature in the things of God. Go to John chapter 8. Scripture says a multitude of counselors, not counselor, there is safety. In John chapter 8, here we read where Jesus in verse 14 says, I am the light of the world. And when he said that, the Pharisees heard that and says, you testify of yourself. And he says, therefore, your testimony is not true. In the law of Moses, there is a law where it says that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So if someone sinned, that person cannot be judged or punished if, it's, if it was by one testimony or one witness. However, if there was two or three witnesses, then they would be punished. Their, their words would be established and considered as truth. Well, Jesus made a testimony, a, a statement where he says, I am the, the light of the world. They said, wait a minute, no, no. You're testifying of yourself, therefore it, you don't qualify. But then I like what Jesus says in verse 17. He says, your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. So Jesus says in verse 18, I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. So if I say I am the light of the world, yes, I am one witness, but my Father also agrees, and he's the second witness, which means I am the light of the world. That's truth. In 2 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul says, This will be the third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So I'm sharing the scriptures to you to show you how important it is to have at least two or three people that can surround you and give you godly counsel. Because there is safety in multitudes. I remember growing up as a young Christian, 
I had three or four people surrounding me, mentoring me, talking to me, directing me, encouraging me, praying for me. And boy, I tell you, I'm so glad that they were there for my life during that time because it was a very turbulent time for me. But they were there. I was able to go to them and seek advice because they were mature. They've been around the block longer than I have, so I knew that I can trust them. Go to Proverbs chapter 12. And here's the thing, too. You can be in a very lonely place when you don't seek help or guidance from someone else. If your pride is preventing you from talking to somebody, it's going to be a very lonely time and a very lonely place for you. You can't allow pride to get in the way because there are people that are designed and surrounding you to help you and to give you direction, to give you the counsel that you need in your time of need. But if you allow pride, and I know some people who don't want to talk to anybody. They're very private. They don't want to talk to nobody. They want to handle it themselves. But you know what? You can't do that on your own. You, live, you belong to a body. And if you're the feet and you're hurting, it's going to affect the rest of the body. And the rest of the body wants to come and help. Proverbs 12 verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. In other words, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to seek advice. Because listen to me, good counsel is instructive but also corrective. In other words, you can't expect to go to somebody for help or direction and expect them to tell you what you want to hear. That's not good counsel. You need to go to somebody who's going to be frank with you, who's going to be honest with you. And you've got to expect to either be instructed or corrected. But if you really want counsel, that's what you can expect. But be open to it. So what kind of counselors do we go to? Who do we go to? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 33 says this, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. In other words, don't get counsel from people whose lives are a disaster, whose lives are failures. Because more than likely, they're not in the best position to help you. But rather, find someone who is consistent in their spiritual walk. Some, find someone who's experienced. Find someone who's been successful in their marriage, successful in their Christian walk, successful in business. Find somebody who's been where you're going. Find somebody who's accomplished what you're trying to accomplish. Find someone who's been down the road that you've been in and has succeeded. Because they would be in the best place to help you and guide you. But they have to be mature in the things of God. And they have to be consistent in their lives. And they have to be successful. Listen, a person whose marriage is bad, you don't go to them to, have, to help you in your marriage. Someone who's struggling in their spiritual life, you don't want to go to them for spiritual help. Someone who's a, a failure in business, you don't want to get any advice from them. 
But seek those that have been successful and consistent. And you know, don't be afraid to come to somebody and talk to them. I think so many people, especially in this region, where we're so, I don't know, how do you describe us <laughs> compared to those in the South who are warm and, 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 and friendly and strike up a conversation, they don't even know who you are. But here, you don't do that. We're so reserved here. But yet, at the same time, we're struggling, we're, we're hurting. We want to talk to somebody, but we can't because we're afraid of what they might think or because of our pride, because we don't want nobody to know that we're struggling. But if you can find somebody that you can go to, that you know is successful, that you know that they've been around the block, that you know they've succeeded in life, don't be afraid to go to them. Talk to them. Here we have our pastors and their wives. We have our elders and their wives. We have our connect group leaders and their wives. And we have so many here that are, that are faithful and, and mature in the things of God that's been there and done that. Don't be afraid to reach out because God will use them to help direct you in His will and help you point, to, to point you in the right direction, help you to stay within the safety of God's boundaries. And they'll also hold you accountable and challenge you. But that's okay. So those are three ways that God reveals His will. Through His Word. By His Spirit. And by godly counsel. And how do I know that I'm in the will of God? You know you're in God's will when you're walking in peace. Jesus says in John 14, I believe, peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. Not the peace that the world gives, I give to you. That word peace implies rest or quietness. When you're making a decision, you know it's God's will when you're inside, your spirit is resting. When it's calm, when it's settled. When you're anxious, when you're nervous, when you're doubting, when you're struggling and indecisive, it's probably because something is wrong because the peace of God is not accompanying it. And it could be that's not God's will. Whenever you choose to, to go in a certain direction and you still feel a little bit nervous and anxious, it could be that that's probably not God's will. You want God's peace. The scripture says, and I believe in um, Colossians 3.15, where it says that the, let the peace of God rule your hearts. That word rule means to arbitrate or to govern. Here's the thing about the peace of God. God's peace is never affected by what's going on externally. You know, you can be at peace when everything is going, or everything around you is going well. You know, you have nothing to worry about. Life is good. Finances are coming in. You're paying up your bills and everything else. Your children are, are, are behaving and everything else. Life is good. So there's all the reason to be at peace. But the moment drama sets in, the moment chaos sets in, where's that peace? Because it's not really God's peace. Because God's peace is, in, is internal. Because God's peace 
can keep you calm and quiet even when externally everything is going around in chaos. A good example is Jesus when he was on the boat with his disciples. They were crossing the Red Sea. And all of a sudden a storm brewed up. And the Bible describes a storm as being a great storm. Strong winds, the waves were high, were beating the boat, and, and water was getting into the boat. And you know what happens when a boat gets filled with water? It makes it heavy and sink. And of course, the fishing boat during that time is not as big as the ones we have today. It's much smaller. And so the disciples were running around in panic and chaos and trying to get the boat straight and controlling the boat and bailing water out of the boat. And they were just running around. In the meantime, the Bible says that Jesus was in the stern asleep. Everyone was in panic except him. He was in a quiet, calm place. That's the peace of God. Let me close with this. There were two painters who entered into a contest. And they both agreed to paint a picture of peace. One of them decided to paint a sunset. And you can see the sun and the calm water and the rays of the sun. And, and it's just, it just has a peaceful looking calm, you know, appearance. The other painter paints a storm. In his painting, he had dark clouds. He had thunder and lightning. He has strong winds. He got waves beating against the, the rock. You look at that picture, it's like, wow, it's chaotic. But in that same painting, at the bottom in the corner were the two rocks. In between that rock, there's a bird. And the bird was singing. That's the peace of God. That you can still sing and be at peace in the midst of chaos. When people look at you and say, what's wrong with you? How come you're not panicking? How come you're not afraid? How come you're not struggling? How come you're not stressed? Because I'm resting in God's peace. I'm right where God wants me to be. And I'm okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God, for revealing your will in our lives by your word, through your spirit, through godly counsels. Father God, I thank you, Father God, that it is your will for us to know all that you know. Lord, and I just give you glory and honor and praise for placing us in that place where we can know the things that you've freely given to us. Now, Lord, I thank you, Father, that you've spoken to everyone here in this room that you've ministered to them, that you spoke to them, that you revealed some things to them, Father God, that they needed to see and needed to know. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, for having your will done. I thank you for completing your will in their lives. I thank you for speaking a timely word for them, Lord God, giving them what they needed to hear, Father God, in their time of need. And Father, I thank you for your faithfulness as you continue to minister to them as they leave this place Father I pray for every individual in this room Father they'll have a desire and a willingness to know your will Lord that they'll seek you with all of their hearts Father they'll come to a place that they'll come to know your perfect will for every area of their lives and Father I thank you for ordering their steps guiding them leading them 
and bringing them to the place that you desire for them to be. Father, I pray that you stir up their hearts. Lord, let there be a hunger and a desire to know more of you. Lord, let there be a desire and a hunger to draw closer to you and to serve you with all their hearts. Lord, I pray, meet every need, whether it be physical, financial, spiritual, emotional, Father God, whatever, material, whatever needs there are. I thank you for being there and meeting that need. And now, Lord, I just want to thank you for being faithful here. I thank you for your presence in this house. And I give you all glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.